Now, we didn't have the screen at the last gathering, but I'm praying we have it, um, and we do. And so we are to uh, uh, this section of the creed where it essentially says, and I'll have them pull it up uh, here in the back if they can, but what it says in the creed um, is, I believe, now, okay, before we read what it says, okay, we're going to read what it originally said, okay, as we say this, as I say this, I just want you to, before you feel like you want to react, just relax. Okay? We're good? I get it. Okay? We've had a lot of situations. We've, we've, our, our sensors are up. Okay? But you're still here. I'm still here. Lord knows you thought about leaving. Lord knows I thought about leaving, but we're still here. Okay? So you don't need uh, to react. Let's relax. I'll unpack it. But this is what it says in the original, okay? It says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now, if you have, if, if maybe you come out of a Roman Catholic background and you are like, I knew it. <laughs> and others of you are like, I knew it. Right? <laughs> I knew he was doing something, and right? Okay, so let's just unpack this now while we're all heightened, okay? The word Catholic here in the Greek means universal. It's the universal church. Okay, so what we're unpacking today is when the creed says, I believe in the universal church, the communion of saints. And so we are talking about uh, the church. And so the Apostles' Creed pivots from the affirmations about who God is into the identity and character of God's people. It goes from this vertical understanding to the horizontal. Now, as we, as, we, as we go into this topic, here's, here's my heart. I just want to be really, really clear with you guys, okay? Um, because as we talk about the church and as, as, as I challenge us um, and, and we look at this and what it's calling us to do, what it's calling us to be, how it's calling us to gather, uh, I, I want you to know that, that obviously there has been a lot of things that have happened, uh, a lot of decisions, a lot of thoughts, a lot of opinions over the last two years, Amen. And there's even been opinions that you and I have had that we had maybe in year one that we've totally changed on, right? So we've changed throughout this process. Um, Some of us have, have approached things from different backgrounds, different views, we've read different things. Physically, we're at different places, and so our health has challenged us in different ways, and that's helped form different decisions that we've made. And when we talk about gathering, that's impacted that and all of those things. And so here's what I want to really be gracious with you guys, and I want you to hear my heart on this, is this is not this opportunity I have to finally get out of baseball bat and go, all right, where have you been? And what are we doing? That is not at all the point of this. The point of this is is for us to go, okay, the last two years have been nuts. But we're here now, and we need God to direct us as a church. And we need to be reminded of what he calls us to do and what he calls us to be, and what he's invited us into. And so we're gonna unpack that. And I want you to really guard your heart from going backwards and to ask, what does this mean for me today as we move forward? Okay, so let's, let's walk in light of, of that this morning. Now, when we look at the Trinity, uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three persons and yet one God, uh, what we see is in essence that God is relational. There's actually community within the Trinity. 
Now, the Bible also tells us what? That we were made in the image of God. Now, what does that mean? That means that we were created for relationship. Human beings all need community. In fact, we long for it. Even you introverts out there, right? Deep down, and I'm an introvert, so I get it. And you may feel drained at the end of this gathering from being around people, but we still, we crave community. It's in us. And you guys, the digital age that we're in, it hasn't changed that. It hasn't changed that at all. And in fact, it's, it's literally promoted that, that we can replace that for you, right? When you think of social media and those platforms, we can replace that. And, and, and actually, you can have more friends you can actually have more of all these things, right? And, and, and so uh, here we are in this day and age where we've got all these followers, all these friends, and that's what they're even called on certain platforms. Uh, and, and, and yet what we've come to find out is that what it has promised us that hasn't d- delivered, it's actually been a counterfeit. Because we're more connected and yet we're more alone, we're more isolated, we're, we're more separated than we've ever been. And so here we are longing for this connection. And you guys, after the last two years, like no other time, we're understanding the benefits of physically being connected to a group of people. We know how good it is to show up somewhere and know we belong, that people care about us, that they're looking for me. And you guys, we know the effects of when that's absent as well, don't we? We felt that. We felt disconnected. We felt isolated. We felt alone. We felt the hurt, the pain of that. We've watched our kids, our teenagers, our young, we've watched them all go through this. And it's, it's literally broke our hearts in a lot of situations and cases. And so we've seen, we've seen the changes in people and we've seen the effects of not being able to physically gather. In Genesis chapter two, verse 18, God looks at Adam and, and, and this is what he says in Genesis two eighteen. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Okay, now, typically we take that verse if we're single and we go, okay, God, so it's in your word, where is she? Or we're like, where is he, God? That's not the point here. Notice also that God is saying this before the fall. He's saying this before sin enters the world. So everything is good. Everything is perfect. Everything is right. And yet he stops and he goes, wait a second. It's not good that man be alone. And so what we see is even before sin, there was a need for community. Okay, there was a need for that. It's how we were made. You guys, our, our need for community isn't a weakness. It's how we were designed. Okay, and, 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 and guys, what we've seen is just surrounding yourself with people, that's not enough, is it? Like just going to a crowd and surrounding yourself, that, that, that's not enough. We need the community. We need the community of the church like no other time. Now, what is church? Right? What is church? Uh, well, there's a, there's a great definition that I found. Jonathan Lehman in his book, um, I, I forget what it's called, but, but he writes this um, as, as he talks about what is a church. He says this, and I love it. He says, a group of Christians 
who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world following the teaching and example of elders. I just love that definition. And he actually, in his book, he breaks down all of those pieces. We don't have time for that. Um, but, but, but I love how he speaks to what the church is. And you guys, it's so important for us to understand what the church is because how you understand what the church is, what your view of what the church is, is going to shape how you live and how you interact with the church. Okay, um, and, and it's so interesting today how people talk about the church, right? Like, like when they talk about joining a church or, or, or being a part of a church. Uh, to be honest, and I was telling the first gathering this, uh, before, before I was walking with God, uh, when, early in college, I remember we would go out clubbing and dancing in all these, these spots, and, and, and how people talk about churches now sounds a lot like how people used to talk about going to the club. And it was just like, 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 like people will talk about like, like the worship and they'll just be like, yeah, the energy, man, the energy. And man, it was good. I was feeling, but that song they missed on that song and this, and then, uh, yeah. And oh man, the power there that, that was the, the sound and, and, and all of that. And the production was good. How it was moving those lights. Yeah. They didn't stay, stay they, they moved and, and it was moving me and, and really, Wow great church, man. And, you know, and then the sermon, and it's even more tough because what? We were just at the theater. So it's like everybody, it's like, we talk about it like it's a show, but we were actually at a theater. So it feels like that. And then I'm feeling that because you're like rating me like, like rotten tomato scores and you're, you're walking out and, and you know, it's like, ah, he was funnier last week. And, you know, and ah, there were more verses two weeks ago. So I feel like we're slipping biblically now. And, and you're like ranking it and you walk out of there and you've got this like, like, like grid. And it's like, well, we'll see if I want, we'll see if I'm going to do this. Right. And, 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 and this is how we talk about churches, right? We talk about how is it going to serve my desires, my preferences, what I want in all of these pieces. And then you look at scripture and you go, wait a second, man, it doesn't talk about church like that. So what's going on? Guys, it's these thoughts that are going to dictate how we engage with church, how we have engaged with church. And so if, if you're a Jesus follower, your understanding of the doctrine of the church, it is absolutely essential. It's essential. And to understand the significance of the doctrine of the church, we have to first turn to its foundation. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, Jesus is walking with his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. 
And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, whose church is it? Who started the church? Oh, man. Oh, wow. Thank you. Someone's here. Okay. Jesus. Jesus is the founder of the church. Okay, so when we're mad or, or, or I don't like church or I don't agree with church, well, your problem's with Jesus now. Jesus created the church. Jesus founded the church. And what did Jesus found the church on? Okay, the confession that came out of Peter's mouth. Okay, that confession. He didn't call, he, he, as much as Peter would have liked it, he didn't say, you're the rock, Peter. You are the rock. No, it was the confession that came out of Peter's mouth. Now, what was the confession that Jesus said, I'm gonna found my church upon this? It was the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And so when we look at the church, how it was built, how it was established, it is built and established on Jesus Christ, on the gospel. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, uh, verse 20, speaking of the church, says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, so, so that's, when we, when we look at the church, the church has to be truth-centered. It has to be based upon the gospel. It's gotta be based upon who Jesus is, what Jesus has uh, done. And as we look at what Jesus said about the church that he was going to create in Matthew chapter 16, I love it because he talks about how he's equipping his bride, the church, to have a power that Satan himself cannot defeat. The gates of hell will not prevail, he says. That's pretty encouraging. And, and, and guys, I'll tell you what, that's kind of become this, this distant thing. But I'll tell you what, coming out of this thing the last couple of years, I'm like, man, the enemy has thrown everything at the church. In fact, it's almost like, he, you know, like he did with Job. He went up to heaven. It's like, hey, you think your church is committed? Watch this. Let me do this. And yet what? We're, we're here. We're here. And we're saying, no. The gates of hell will not prevail. And God is saying, I have empowered you so that that cannot happen. It will not happen. And, and he also gave the church authority that we read in Matthew chapter 16, authority to carry here on earth God's duties for us and to essentially shine the light of Jesus to a lost world. Okay, and, and, and I just want you to, to think about for a moment how the church is described throughout the Bible. When, when it talks about the church, when it writes about the church, uh, the church is called the bride of Christ. We see it called God's family. It's called a magnificent temple. And then it's also called Christ's body. You guys, the church is so close to the heart of God, so central to his work in the world that he calls us the body of Christ. And that, now what does that mean? Well, that means that as we express this union that we have with him through worshiping together, through serving, uh, through, through loving each other and loving him, the church becomes literally the physical manifestation of our savior on the earth. 
We become the, the, the physical presence of Christ, that tangible view of, of who he is to this community, to this world. It is so powerful. It is so big. It is so important. Uh, and, and, and so uh, when we think about this calling, man, that's, that's, what, that's what it is. That's what we're called to be. That's what, that's what he says. That, that's who you are. And yet we, we look at that calling and we go, man, why does that not feel like that's who we are? I mean, it's so easy to rip on the church, isn't it? Isn't it? It's so easy to rip on all of the flaws in the church. I mean, it's easy. And I got so many. You could, you could spend all day just ripping on me. It's full of flaws, you guys. It's full of people that, that have failed, that have, that have let you down, people that are considered hypocrites. We are fragmented. We are polarized. And then, man, we have just been bombarded with scandals from church leaders. It's hurt. It's been painful. And it's given us ammunition to say, no, thank you. I don't want that. I don't want to be a part of that. I know them and what they're really about. But you guys, here's the challenge. Despite its problems, we cannot give up on the church. We can't. You guys, Jesus is the only person who has the right to give up on the church. And he hasn't. In fact, he's still at work beautifying his bride. He's actively at work right now. And so when the creed describes the church uh, as holy and as a communion of saints, you need to understand and know when it says that, it, it, it isn't this holiness in the sense of, of the fact that we're just intrinsically, we're just righteous. Uh, no, it's, it's in the sense that we have been set apart. Holiness, to be set apart. We've been consecrated for a specific work, for a specific purpose uh, that, that First Peter talks to. And in First Peter chapter 1, 16, and this is written to, to Jesus followers scattered all over uh, the known world. It says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Okay, you shall be set aside. You shall be holy for I am holy. And then later in First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then later in verse nine, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Whoa. You've been set aside. You, you have been made holy. You have said you are, he has said, you are mine. And, and, and literally to the point of you haven't been just set aside. He says, I'm creating a new people group with you. And it's going to be totally different. I, I, I've called you out of the darkness. So you've been set aside for something significant, for something special. You've been set aside to be the church of Christ. And so this, the church is holy. It's set apart from the world for this unique relationship with God. And it's holy in the sense that it is called to take on the very characteristics of Jesus Christ. Now, once again, as, as we look at uh, the word and the confusion around the, word, the, the term Catholic here, once again, that is 
speaking to the universal church. And what it's reminding us of is that we're part of something so much bigger than you or me. We are part of the universal church. People all throughout the world. And as we're a part of the universal church, we are still called, commanded to be a part of the local church. The book of Acts, it literally details the story of a local church in Jerusalem and the founding of other local churches in the ancient world. And so every local church, and I love the definition, how it talks about the local church is an embassy, an embassy of the universal, of, 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 of what the church will be. Every local church is an embassy of that. And uh, I just love that picture because if you, if you travel outside of the U.S. to other countries and you get in trouble, where are you supposed to go? You try to find the U.S. embassy, right? You get there because that's where you're supposed to, 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 to go, okay, this is the United States, essentially. This is how they roll. This is how it works here uh, in this space, in this building, right? And, and, and so I can trust this. I know these things, right? It's supposed to be an outpost, a reflection of the, the rest of the United States. And so I love this picture of the local church being an embassy of the universal church. And, and to confess that I believe in the universal church, it, it, it confesses the universal nature of the, of the church revealed through these local congregations that teach the gospel. And when it talks about the communion of the saints, uh, it, it, it's pushing against any notion of Christian individualism. Okay, now, the belief that we can do this Christian life alone, you guys, that is a huge lie. And it has deeply hurt the American church. You see it much more prevalent here in the United States. This individualism, it not only betrays the church, it betrays the very heart of the gospel. Because what it does is it, it, it's, it insinuates that the gospel is about God saving people without pointing to a bigger story of God creating a people for himself. Okay, um, all scripture, when you go all throughout the old to the new, it points to God's design of creating a people that will be made up of every uh, tongue, tribe, and nation. Amen? That's what he's doing. That's what we read about. Is That's what's going to happen in Revelation when everybody goes before him and dwells with him. And, and what it's shouting to us is the gospel is not just about you. All throughout. I mean, the New Testament is going to shout that to you. Okay? Uh, the, the gospel uh, is what? The gospel is God's story as he, through Christ, made a people for his pleasure. And so God's people should never be alone on this journey of following him. We should never be alone by how it speaks. And, and in fact, we should resonate with Paul, as he said, in, in Philippians chapter two, verses two through five, he says this, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you, and he's speaking to the church here, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, we're brought into this situation with Jesus where he's being observed. And in Mark 12, 28 through 31, it says, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Okay, so right relationship with God is absolutely inseparable from relationships with other people. Okay, it it, it doesn't work. That's what he calls us to. In fact, biblical repentance, when we think about coming to him and and, and repenting uh, of of what we've done, of what we've become, uh, it always involved a corporate dimension. It always involved other people, okay? Um, And and loving other people. Jesus, Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He is speaking to his disciples. Okay, he's not speaking to this massive group. He's saying, hey, you're followers of mine. The world is going to know me by the love you have for each other. Ooh. So a church is a group of people who know they've been loved by Christ and have begun to love each other just like that. You guys, when we think of one another, in the Bible, there's 59 one another's. There's a lot of them. In fact, I've got two pages of them right here. I'm not gonna read them all because we have time constraints. But we literally have over and over again. Be devoted to one another. Love one another. Instruct one another. Serve one another. Forgive one another. Be compassionate to one another. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Carry each other's burdens. So, so many one Another's right? 59, all throughout scripture. You guys, the one another's that it's talking about, that takes place in here. Most all of those are in relation to the church and how we treat each other. And so we're called to come here and to look at each other and treat each other as the one another's. And that is a very high calling. And so when we're here, this is where we work that out. 
This is where that happens. And as I was reading this and, and walking through this, it's so interesting to me how we um, have emphasized having this kind of testimony, the one another's and how we treat each other and that. We've really emphasized, and I've emphasized this to us for how we're to behave outside of these walls, amen? We've, we've challenged each other. We're like, but how are you living out there? Are you living this out? Are you loving them? Even though they're different than you, even though they, they think differently, act differently and believe different things. How are you treating them? What's your testimony at work? Um, uh, what's your testimony to your family? All these things, right? Uh, we, we push and we challenge each other outside of these walls. But, I, but as I was thinking about this, I go, man, and I'm just as guilty as everybody else. I've, I've emphasized that to this degree where I've actually started to de-emphasize what that's supposed to look like in the church. And guys, to be honest, for some of us, it's a lot easier out there than it is in here to do that, to model this, to love each other. But guys, this is where that's called to take place, where it's called to happen and where it should be expected to happen. There should be a different kind of love happening in this space, a different kind of connection, a different kind of care, a humility, a desire that supersedes us, you guys, because what we're dealing with right now, uh, which is just so scary in a lot of ways, is in our day of connectivity where we're connected to more people than we ever have before. We're more connected to pastors, to churches, uh, to worship music, and everything else, and social media, all these people people like, like never before, and we're a hundred miles wide and we're half an inch deep when it comes to community, when it comes to the community that he's desired you and I to experience and to be. And you guys, that's not the pattern of Jesus's life. It's just not. It's not how he walked. It's not how he led. Uh, it's not how he inter interacted with his followers. And, and we see this, this warning all throughout scripture. We see this guidance for us, like Proverbs, the book of wisdom, right? Proverbs uh, eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Uh, he, in Proverbs uh, as well, in 24, 6, it talks about without count, or with counsel comes victory in battle. With counsel. So, so we're called to have this connection, this community. And you guys, when I talk about community and connection at the church, guys, there is a huge difference that I'm talking about between actively belonging to a church and attending a church. You guys, belonging to a church is, is, is where the one another's is lived out in the church. Okay, uh, it's when we read about the things that we're challenged to do. It's where it happens. It's, it's where it takes place. Uh, in Ephesians chapter four, verses one through six, in Ephesians, this is an incredible book, huge uh, encouragement to the church. In Ephesians chapter one, or four, verses one through six, it says this. I therefore, and this is Paul, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Man, I love that. 
And so he's, he's like, I'm in prison. And he's writing this to the church. I'm in prison for this. And I urge you to live in this manner with each other. I urge you to treat each other differently. What does he say you need to be eager to? Ooh, this is a tough one. He says, I want you to be eager. Eager means I'm excited to do this. Okay? Think your kids Christmas morning. Think of that. I am eager to what? Maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He says, listen, when you come together, I want you to be eager for that. Guys, oh man, it's been so tough because it seems to me like we've become eager to find faults and we've been eager to go, finally, I caught you. I knew it. And we've literally been turned upside down. When I come here, when you come here, we should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. We, sh we, should, we should see people, and, and man, if we've been disconnected, we should like be the first to go, hey, man, that was rough what we did, huh? Let's fix this. Let's go beyond this. We're called to something beyond this, bigger than you and me and our disagreement, right? So, so we're, gonna, we're gonna be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Like, like, like we're gonna be actively excited to do that as a church. We're gonna look for those moments, okay? We're gonna look for these moments to serve each other, to, to, to love each other well, to, to bear each other's uh, burdens. And, and look at what Hebrews says, the Hebrew writer uh, in Hebrews 10, 24 uh, through 27. He says, and, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Okay, that's intense. That's a solid ending, right? Sometimes you read scripture and you go, oh, it's so good. I love this. And then it's like, bam, judgment and fire. <laughs> You're like, ah. Guys, look at what the Hebrew writer is saying. Let us consider. Let's walk into the space and consider. Let's see each other in the community and consider how in the world can I help build them up? I don't know their story. I don't know what they've been through. I don't know their battle. I don't know what's going on in their marriage. I don't know what's going on with their kids' lives, their grandkids. I, I don't know. I don't even know if they go to this church, but I'm gonna go build them up. I'm gonna go build them up. I'm gonna encourage them. And he says, don't you neglect meeting together. Don't neglect it. Don't make that a habit. He warns us, and there is a, literally, there's like, hey, and if you do, here's some judgment. <laughs> like he's, he's, he's saying, listen, don't neglect this. We are called, we are commanded to physically meet together. You guys, we're called to meet together. Why are we called to, to physically meet together? You guys, because God knows something that we don't. There is something powerful that happens when we come together physically, amen? 
there is something powerful. When, when you and I come together, when we're crying out, when we're singing, when we're praising him, even when we don't know the songs, when, when we're engaging with God, when we're, in, when we're responding together and we're seeing other people and maybe we know their story, maybe we don't, but we're reminded I'm not alone and they're being moved and all of a sudden we're finding ourselves being moved, being united and all of a sudden there's this force that takes place and God knew about that and he knew that if we would commit to physically gathering together, he says, you don't even know what I've got for you. And guys, you know this. Even if that feeling, that moment didn't happen in a church, you know this. Think about some of the big groups that you've been in and it just moved you. I'm going to be honest because we're transparent and authentic here at this church. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a concert. And um, it was a concert that I surprised my wife and took her to. And it was a Celine Dion concert. Don't judge me. You've already done that, so just leave it alone. Okay? And I love my wife. And so Celine Dion, this is like 10 years ago, singing at Caesar's Palace. And so I get tickets and we go. And I'm holding her hand. Like, yeah, I am who you thought I could be. (laughs) Celine. And I'm there and I've heard, I know she's got pipes, right? So I'm like, okay, she's going to be good. But as I'm there in the room physically, all of a sudden, I'm being moved. All of a sudden, the Titanic song is just hitting. And, and I'm like being taken to this place. And all of a sudden, during this concert, they go, they do this thing, and, and it's like the lights go out, but all of a sudden, she's there. And then they use this like holographic imaging where she's in the crowd, walking and singing. And I'm like, and I'm there in awe and I'm just being inspired. And I remember at the time, our, the church I was at, we were doing multi-site video venues. I came back, I go, guys, we got to step up. <laughs> like she looked like she was there. And, and, but, but all of this experience in this room and I'm being moved in this Celine Dion concert because I was there. Now, if you came back to me and said, hey man, I went to a Celine Dion concert, it was moving. I'd be like, oh, cool. Glad you did that. Way to go, right? But I was there. And you know what I'm talking about. You've been to the duck game when they play shout. And the whole stadium goes nuts. And if it's a night game, they got those glow sticks. And you're just like, ah, with everybody, right? And then they play that Matt Kearney song on Oregon. And I'm not even from Oregon. I'm there. I love Oregon, you know? Like, we're all just Oregon, right? All of a sudden, why? Why is that happening? Why am I being moved in that, huh? Because there is something powerful there. And we can't deny it. There's something powerful that happens when we physically gather. And he says, I've got plans for this church. I've got plans for you. You guys have to come together though. And it's going to move you. 
And, and, and it's gonna stretch you. There's gonna be conviction in that. There's gonna be sanctification in that. But it is gonna be the ultimately the best thing for you as you come together like this. Because what makes those gatherings so powerful, it's that you're physically there. You can see, you can hear, you can feel. And unlike watching on a screen, and listen, we're gonna try and do our best to deliver the online uh, experience and live stream this. We're gonna do our best because we know there's a lot of reasons people can, can, can watch and and need to watch um, and all of that. So we love making that available, but I'm always gonna challenge you if you're locally to come. I'm gonna challenge you to come physically because he asked us to. And, and if you watch and, you, and, you, and maybe you watch and, and you're from a different state, I think that's so awesome, that's cool, um, that, that you're being impacted in a, another location, another state, I'm gonna challenge you to go physically to a local church. I can't be your local pastor. And so, and so I would tell you that. I would tell you, uh, if, if you're like, I'm gonna leave the church, I would say, let me help you find a local church to go to. And so we see this clear uh, calling for us uh, to go and, and to gather together. And, and guys, you just can't get that as, as hard as we're gonna try to deliver the best online uh, situation. You just are not gonna get that on the screen. It's when we're here that we're literally surrounded and we're reminded you're not alone and it starts to define our reality because in a way that only God can do, he's made us, what, body and soul and somehow those two connect, don't they? You can't separate them. This is how culture is formed and gatherings speed this process up. You guys, the church gathering offers a visible testimony for the world to see. It tells the world that we are citizens of heaven. And you look throughout history and God has always meant and designed for his people to meet together uh, physically from Adam and Eve and him physically being there with them and walking in the garden to the Old Testament uh, in the promised land when he's telling them and requiring of them to be, to assemble together, to go to the temple where he dwelled, to literally the son of God in the New Testament coming and dwelling and walking with us and then saying, I am creating uh, the, the, the church. And, 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 and literally in Matthew 16, when he says the word church, that's a new term, right? He could have said synagogue if he wanted, but he didn't. He said church and church, ecclesia, the word, some of your minds just got blown. That's in the Greek. Uh, it translated means assembly, a gathering, a people assembled together. That's what it means. So if we're not going to do that, I got to change the name of the church, right? Because that's what it is. And as he's saying, this is going to be an assembly. You guys, that wasn't a mistake that Jesus used that term. He used that term. Why? Because Jesus wanted these assemblies, these churches to anticipate the final assembly where God will dwell with his people once more that we read about in Revelation. Okay, where, where he's going to dwell with us permanently and we're gonna be in his presence, praising him. And so you guys are assembled local churches. They have this opportunity to represent God's presence with man from heaven. He says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. Okay, and, 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 and so guys, this doesn't happen when I'm on this screen. This doesn't happen in my ears on a podcast. This happens when I'm here when I'm physically gathered together with other followers of Jesus. 
And I hear, man, I hear sometimes people say, well, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's just about a person. It's not about a place and all that. Okay, but uh, the problem is you're gonna have to redefine the term church because it's about a people who gather. It's, it's, it's by definition a people that assemble, set apart. And guys, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus organized this. He created this. He's designed this. And so it's, it's not about, hey, if, 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 if I just go to church regularly, I'm a good person, or he's more impressed with me. That, that's, not, that's not at all what it's about. In fact, uh, there's a, man, there's not a lot of good people that go to church, unfortunately. Right? If we all look at our lives in the last week, maybe even this morning, we're like, I'm not that good, and I'm here. <laughs> yeah, if you find a perfect church, don't go there. It won't be perfect anymore, right? We've heard that. And so, and so we're called, and, and we're not going to be perfect, and us gathering doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect and that we're more impressive. But you guys, it's what we do. It's what we were designed and created to do as Jesus followers. And so we're obedient in that. And the Spirit of God is inside of us as Jesus followers saying, you go, you get there, I'm going to move, and I've gifted you to make an impact there. There's so many issues that we've seen come up from not gathering together, and it's been so tough. Man, it's been so tough. There's been such disconnection. There's been lack of encouragement for people, lack of accountability that people needed, lack of love, lack of just conversations, repentance, iron sharpening iron, right? Just the check-ins, the, the people that just lost off the radar. And, and, and guys, to be honest, without gathering in person, it's a lot easier to hide my struggles, amen? It just is. It's way easier to sit there in front of my screen. And guess what? I can sit there, hide my own flaws, and hide my issues that I have with someone else that I know is going to be there. Right? I know I don't have to see them. So this is fantastic. You guys, it's no surprise that, that the virtual, the internet church is growing in popularity. Why is it? It's, not, it's a no-brainer. Because it's so convenient, Right? It's so convenient and it feeds in me what I, in my flesh, want. I want an experience that caters to me. And God says, ah, get out of that, Steve. Get out of that. It hurts discipleship. It trains you in your faith to think that this is about you. And it teaches you the wrong message about what it means to be a part of the family of God. Guys, some of you are disconnected right now with your family, and it hurts, doesn't it? It really hurts. And, it, and it, should, it should hurt when we're not how we should be in the family of God. And so we need to care, and we need to confront that, and we need to be together to have that happen. You guys, this command to gather, it's for our good, it's for our benefit. It comes from his love for you and me, and it comes from a joy that he wants to bring into your and my life. And so guys, here we are, here we in Cal Young. I pray that this is the last stop before the, the final ending. Uh, not the ending, that sounds morbid, but, uh, <laughs> but to that permanent location. I mean, that's what I'm praying for you guys. But right now in this gym, we are a embassy of heaven, right? An embassy of heaven. And so people walking into this church, and I pray, and I'm gonna hold you accountable to this. People walking into our church, they should experience, uh, not people that come here and go, ah, I'm home. No, 
We're exiles, right? We're citizens of a different kingdom. And, and, and so they should see the fruit of the Spirit from that kingdom, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Uh, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we deal with each other, as we love each other, as we engage with God. And they should see the Beatitudes being lived out in community, right? That's what people should see. That's what I pray they see. And ultimately, all of it should point to what is to come. I, I, I want to read to you some statistics because, you know, the church has got such a and when I talk about the church, the universal church, uh, it's, it's, it's literally uh, been criticized in so many ways. And, and you know what, guys, there's a lot of reasons. Yeah, it, it's earned that. But on my phone, I've saved some of these incredible statistics that I was walking through because what it points to is the power of what happens when we are connected and we are belonging in a local church, right? Because uh, there's a lot of things you hear out there. Okay, so, so here's what culture says. Evangelicals are really, uh, they're, they're not really pro-life, they're just pro-birth. They don't care about babies after they're born. Well, conservative Christians adopt more children than any other population segment, more than doubling the norm. The norm is 2%. Practicing, practicing, Christians, 5%. The church is emotionally repressive and destructive to your mental health. Well, regular church attendance dramatically improves your mental health. The only people in the U.S. whose mental health improved in 2020 was regular church attenders. Evangelicals don't care about the poor. They just care about political power. Once again, church-going Christians are exponentially more generous to the poor with both time and money than the rest of the population. And there's tons of stats here. The church is oppressive to women, a tool of the abusive uh, patriarchy, and creates uh, toxic relationships for women. Well, conservative Christian, gender traditional church-going women are in the happiest relationships in America, and abuse decreases by 50% in this category. The church is morally backwards and bad for society. Well, the data says the church is great for society, and the higher the church attendance, the lower the burglary, larceny, robbery, assault, homicide, etc., etc. Church is irrelevant or ideologically uh, and emotionally harmful to raising children. Well, regular church attendance uh -huh, significantly decreases all three of the big three dangers of adolescence, depression, substance abuse, and sexual promiscuity. The church doesn't help your marriage. The divorce rates are the same. You heard that one? Yeah. Conservative Christians who attend regularly are 35% less likely to divorce. Guys, is the church perfect? No. Nope, that's easy. It's an easy answer. But there is significant good happening. And you've got to make a decision. Is it about showing up? Attending or belonging. And I believe he calls you and he calls this church to something greater and I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's go.